From Hollywood, it's America's number one. You might as well listen to what I'm show, listening to. America's top ten with Casey Kasem. This week, the Pointer Sisters. Sorry. I don't know what you're apologizing for. You uh seen are you going to see, sorry, Tenet? Yeah. Is that uh, coming out regular time? I mean, at regular time. Is that coming out um, in theaters soon? Yeah, it's supposed to be Labor Day weekend, so I think Thursday. Oh, wow, that's coming up. Yeah, we want to see it specifically in IMAX because Christopher Nolan films everything in IMAX and he kind of cares about that. Yeah. And if I'm going to spend money to see a movie. I have... Yeah, well, it's like the first time you've been out in public, other than church. That's true, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. You're going to leave the cornfield and go see a movie. This is amazing. And then I'll fade back into it. Here's the golden opportunity. Yes. (laughs) People will come, Ray. They will come. That's my James Earl Jones impression. You told me your Um, finger was a gun. (laughs) (laughs) You're from the 60s. Heck. Back to the 60s. <laughs> oh, you just quoted Field of Dreams. You impressed me, David. Thank that was you. awesome. You and I had a moment there. I connected with you. That's I have, awesome. I've seen the cable version. Show me your gun. I'm not going to show you my gun. Are you crazy? <laughs> I just want to be left alone. You're a pacifist. I, I, I asked you what you want. You're a p- <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, um, <laughs> that's a great, great great movie uh where were we <laughs> oh um i have this golden opportunity in front of me um there's so many times that i've wanted to see a movie i get excited about a movie and then i watch all the trailers read all the articles and almost sometimes spoil it like i'll, I'll share something with you i when i saw uh the last jedi i knew what was going to happen at the end i know i knew that luke was going to die and i just Wish I didn't do that, but I can't help myself. I have no self-discipline. That is not the case with Tenet. Is it Tenant or Tenant? Tenet. Tenet. So it's not a biography of David Tenet. No. Okay. It's not oh, Doctor Who is not in it. Oh. That's that's weird. I I I have seen one trailer. It was like like a teaser teaser trailer. Yeah, where they just show where they just you showed a scene. Yes. It was just one scene yeah. of them going into the auditorium, right? And that's great because it it tells you nothing. No, I have no idea. I don't even know who the good no guys and the bad guys are. Yeah, that's all I know. That's all I know. And I think I might have seen a TV spot or two that also don't tell you anything. So I haven't seen a formal trailer that would that would um, clue me in on some of the plot points. I don't know what the gimmick mm-hmm. is. I don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. And if the movie's coming out soon, I can yep, keep it. You got to wait two days, Jim. So I'm excited to see. Yeah, that's it. So I am excited to see this movie, um, not knowing anything. So I think it'll finally like be an experience that I'll like want to replicate. You know, <laughs> and I'll stay away from. I want to stay away from you know articles and trailers and things like that. Though you and I watched the Batman trailer last week that I cut yep, out of yep. the show because we didn't say anything that was funny. Uh, but you know, like, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know if I want to actually see that movie first off, but you know, that's another example. We just went and saw a trailer and now I know kind of a little bit of what's yeah. going on. 
but no, very excited to see that movie. So don't tell me. I anything. don't know anything, Jim. I am. I am in the exact same Good. shoes as you. I saw that trailer. It yeah. was, I think it was, it, excuse me. I think it was in December or January. And so it's been a really long time. And really all I remember about the trailer is how intense it was. Yeah, it is a pretty intense. So I am, uh, yeah, I'm very stoked. And uh, I hope they have it in IMAX so that you can see it in IMAX because everything I've seen from Christopher Nolan in IMAX, I've been very happy that I saw it in IMAX. Well, so here's the thing. We have to drive all the way to Denver. Like we, in order to see it in IMAX, (laughs) if we wanted to just see it normally, you know, we could drive, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes away. Uh, but to see it in IMAX, we have to drive all the way to Denver. Even in your reform city, there's no theater. Well, so there might actually be one in Westminster, but that's basically Denver. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Oh, I guess. Yeah, you're right. You did say that it is kind of like a, a Denverish place, just kind of like outside. Denver, yeah. It's right? like Spokane Valley is to Spokane or, you know, I don't actually know how, what else to compare this to, but it's a, no, the theater, yeah, the theater in Westminster is just, it's, 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 they can do plays. Male actors can't play female roles. That's the only thing with that theater. <laughs> There's no card playing either or dresses. Um, <clears throat> you done? Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and start the show. <laughs> yeah, that was good banter. The podcast you are about to hear contains the histrionic and problematic conversations of a stodgy Presbyterian and a casserole-loving Baptist. Their interactions are volatile at times and unpleasant most of the time. In many nations, this is considered a mild form of torture. We strongly advise you to stop this nonsense and go do something useful with your life. Otherwise, if you insist on listening to this mess, welcome to the lightest form of flogging. Okay, uh, thank you, Deep Voice Man. I also welcome you to the lightest form of flogging podcast, episode 106. I am your host, Jim. My least favorite Wayne Newton song is Daddy, Don't You Walk So Fast. And sitting across the country for me in a contractually negotiated 805 miles is my co-host, David, whose favorite Wayne Newton song is Dreams of the Everyday Housewife. Yeah. That's true. I Very cry every day. time. Wait, would I cry? Yes. Would you? <laughs> I think you would. You know, you know, you know how uh, Wayne Newton... Who else makes you cry? Is it just Wayne Newton? Well, just in that song, because I'm a complimentarian. Oh, David's complimentarian jokes always, as they say in the business, kill. Uh, now, uh, live follow up here. I go between two options whenever I uh, talk about how far you are away from me. I right. say 804 miles. I also say 805 miles. I think I said 805. It's 804, right? Yes. Uh, unless I move my chair like this, then it's 805. <laughs> yes. <laughs> David, why are you so far away from the camera? Oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> We're rounding David, David's going to broadcast. David's going to broadcast live from his cornfield so we can say 807, uh, you know, deep, deep in the recesses of David's cornfield. Why do I say cornfield? You obviously don't live in a cornfield. There is a cornfield. I think I see. Like, like literally I could walk outside well, and within it. 40 seconds be in a cornfield. It is going to be harvested I, okay. soon. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yes, uh, The Boy Who Wouldn't Hoe His Corn is a song that I sing sometimes every fall for this very occasion. Uh, great and, song that you would <laughs> never hear about. So why am I saying? Farmer savvy listeners may be going, it's well past time to harvest corn. And it actually is, <laughs> but this is field corn. You let it dry yes. out uh, because you're just giving ah. it to like cows and pigs and stuff. 
Okay. All right. Well, Field corn. Things I learned since do, moving to Colorado. Yes. Do let us know how the corn thing shakes out, David. Hey, let's go ahead and do a follow up. You have the first. It's point. actually really quite I amazing. Have, There's kind of an is. eeriness about it. The corn. Yeah. Sometimes you feel like it's stalking you. <laughs> I was just about to make a children of the corn joke. And you just kind of. <laughs> you ever heard of that children? You've, uh, no, you know, that was like three corn puns in a row, right? Yes. Okay. You, all, you okay. pulled that up. Yes. <laughs> Cause you I was, didn't, I was just made no say, reaction until the last one. And I was like, did he, it's because I'm thinking, I've been thinking about my children of the corn joke this whole time. <laughs> so in order for me to concentrate on it, I have to not <laughs> say, or I can't comment on anything you say or else I forget the joke. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, so I was just going to say, uh, don't worry about the weird children standing in the corn, staring at you. They're just children <laughs> of the corn. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, well, you were making probably, stuff up. All the things I said about corn, there was at least a kernel yes. of truth in. Thank you, man. <laughs> I wish I was as smart as you. I wish I could do what you do, but I can't. Anyways, um, <laughs> so let's go ahead and do a uh, follow up. You go first. All right, let's see. I have a David Internet update, which Jim was just asking me about. So uh, I want answers. We are now subscribed to Unlimitedville. I think we were last week, too, but it's sketchy AH, as Jim would say. Um, and that is because we're running the LTE modem in our basement for various reasons. And we can't move it out of the basement for various reasons until Thursday. Uh, and as you can imagine, Mm -hmm. like the difference between your cell reception in the basement versus your cell reception upstairs near a window, uh, is pretty, pretty huge. Um, and so uh, on Thursday, we're hoping to move it up there and get good speeds. Finally. Yes. But for now, like everything is bad and terrible and and I hate everything. But you showed a screenshot of your speed. That uh, was when it was in its optimum position, but I can't get range from there to uh, our office. Um, Yeah. Like Wi-Fi range. That was when it was in the fourth row of the corn. Uh, Well, good. (laughs) Because I was just going to say our Skype connection is just not. It's better now, isn't it? It ain't cutting it. Yeah, it is better now. Yeah. But I'm just saying it's not cutting the mustard. And uh, I wanted to cut the mustard soon. So I stopped streaming that, disco. Uh, uh, so okay. old disco music videos. All right. um, Martin Lloyd Jones Church. I said during our skit, <laughs> I <laughs> what? So in the notes, it says MLB Church. And I was really curious where this was going. <laughs> Sorry, I meant MLB. Uh, it's like, church. this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, but now that it's Martin Lloyd Jones, David walks <laughs> off. Totally the, lost the interest in, in protest. Totally lost interest. Um, no, uh, someone in the skit. Said, no, Martin Lloyd Jones said that he uh, preached during World War II when his church was bombed, and uh, I actually that is actually not true. <laughs> uh, I remember. I remember. <laughs> I remember reading. I remember reading uh, from his biographie, as the French say, um, that uh, his his. He was preaching, and uh, this was during the bombing of London. One of the bombings, one of the many bombings of London, and or you his would church say the suffered, yeah, damaged during a sermon, and uh, he just kept going. So one of those many legendary MLJ stories. But actually, in actuality, his church wasn't bombed. A bomb dropped a few yards away from his church, which caused structural damage. I think parts of the roof fell onto the congregation. Uh, the wall behind where he preaches from, like had a big crack in it. So I just wanted to uh, issue that correction. Martin Lloyd Jones church was not bombed. Uh, a bomb dropped close to it, caused structural damage. 
during a prayer. I feel like that counts. Res- yeah, but it wasn't like on purpose bombed. Because it's like it's again, like if somebody throws a grenade at you. Lo- well, go yes. ahead. Go ahead. And it doesn't. And it drops like a foot away from me, and then explodes and takes me out. Right. I, I mean, can, yeah. yeah. It's not like I'm going to say I wasn't grenaded. I was right, grenaded. Exactly. <laughs> I was grenaded. I was very seriously grenaded. Yes. I mean, like, look at me. Look at me. How can you say this is not seriously grenading? Anyway, just look around the short room. Time. Short title. I mean, seriously grenading. Yeah. Look around the room at all the at all of me around the room. And then tell uh, me Sarah's going to not like me for that one. Well, I mean, it balances me out. So <laughs> please bring please bring that stuff up. Hey, did uh, Sarah have a talk with you after last week? Um, not yet, but I can tell one's coming. Okay. <laughs> it's all quiet <laughs> in the cookie basement. So what'd you think of flogging? <laughs> hey, can you help me with this other thing? <laughs> Just avoiding the uh, conversation. <clears throat> Sarah, go easy on me. I can't help it. You're up next. Uh, let's see. Next up I have. So I said I was feeling sick last week. And when I listened to the episode, I was like, holy cow, my voice is like 20% gone. Like I had like a slight mm. raspiness. I just didn't have my edge. And I really do think I was I sick. So I really think that uh, I was not doing well. I think that also makes uh, sense out of why I just wasn't as um, on, I guess. Like, it's not that I'm yeah. always funny, but I always make a lot more jokes, whether they're funny or not. Yeah. And this week I'm making away. more jokes. You are. You are on fire as, uh, as they say. Yeah. No, you were. In Geneva. I, I don't. I I think, yes. <laughs> David did what I could not. Just think <laughs> of a decent, just think of a decent burning alive joke. <laughs> I mean, admittedly hard to do, but David is always ready to kill with that one. Hey, yo. Um, so, uh, yes, I'm next. Uh, no, you're next. No, I'm next. Right? Yes. Uh, Wayne Newton and Casey Kasem. Chris Ragsdale said that my impression of Wayne Newton sounded a lot like Casey Kasem. I think he was right, but in my defense, they both kind of sound similar. I will go ahead and play a quick soundbite of Wayne Newton so you all have something to compare it to. I will go ahead and route it in. So here we go. And despite media reports to the contrary, he has no plans of leaving. I built this place. Yes. It didn't build me. It didn't build me. So if we walked out those front gates yes. tomorrow, tomorrow, yes. it would be A by choice. Yeah. B. <laughs> we had a wonderful time. Thank you, and we'll go somewhere else. Right, shut up, Wayne. Okay, so there's there's Wayne. Okay, what do you think about that? Do you, do you have do you have an idea of what Wayne Newton I sounds think you, like? You have like a growl to it. You're like yes. half Wayne Newton, <laughs> half Batman. <laughs> sounds like Christian Bale. <laughs> David, you are on today. You are right. Last week you did suck. This week you are awesome. I love it. Okay. All right. Now let's go ahead. <laughs> I think we just created a new character today. Wayne Newton with a really uh, Batman y voice. Hi, I'm Wayne Newton. <laughs> I am Mr. Las Vegas. But no, he kind of is. Hey, I'm Wayne Newton. Hello. And then here, Why does that sound like Hellcat Maggie now? I yeah I know and Martin Lloyd Jones last week was starting to sound like Hellcat Maggie so well there are similarities there especially with the fingernail sure <laughs> I was just about to make the joke and you did it okay here we go wait really about the fingernails yes <laughs> oh we have to stop doing oh, the show stop doing the uh, show okay, here we go 
Welcome to America's Top 10. Let's turn right to the action on the Billboard Pop Singles Kinda Chart. Kind of sounds The 10 most popular hits in the land this week. Now, last week, the Reflex by Duran Duran hit number one. So I, I'm now realizing that my impression of Casey Kasem is a lot worse than my impression of Wayne Newton. I think they sound similar. But when <laughs> I do Casey Kasem, I sound just like Wayne Newton. So when I was doing my impression of Wayne Newton, Chris, I think I was more accurate. And you remembering me sounding like Casey Kasem was a result of my dismal failure in life. Now then. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for entertaining that. Um, there you go. Casey Kasem and Wayne Newton. I think from now on, I'm just going to do Wayne Newton jokes. He's There's so much more comedy mm. in Wayne Newton than Casey Kasem. The last time we did Casey Kasem, it was in a skit in which I think he uh, beat both of us up. So... <laughs> I think you could say that about any of our characters. Every, every chip. <laughs> uh, Dean Martin was in that one too. I do a good Dean Martin impression. I will say, okay, you're next. Uh, next up. I just want to apologize for my behavior last week. I explained the game Mal, which I guess is the unforgivable sin. And rather than explaining why mm. that's wrong, I will say nothing more in the hopes that I don't ruin the yeah. game for anyone else. Yes, this game or this apology is really more just for Ben and those that know the game of Mao. Yeah, because I mean, I've is, just ruined the game for like fives of people who listen to this show. Yeah, <laughs> I thought we were up to nine. Well, actually, after last week's skit, we're probably down to four. Now then, <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course, the rules that he explained of the Mao game is that you have to go around your neighborhood finding people but, you but, disagree but, but, why with. Why would you do that? Well, oh wait, go ahead. I'm sorry. This is this is a, a bit. Just doing a Mao joke. I thought you were explaining the game again. I was like, don't you know that that's what got me into trouble? Nope. Don't make my mistakes, Jim. And, Christians, and you have to get rid of them. Um, I'm, not, I'm up next. Jim's humor. So last week, um, uh, dear beloved, uh, a close personal mutual friend of ours, Dr. David Latchett, listened to the show and communicated on our Slack channel that uh, it was the, uh, last week's show was probably the most surreal thing he's ever heard. Did he say on the radio? Is that what he said? On a podcast. Or, uh, on a podcast. On a podcast. And uh, who am I to argue? Uh, <laughs> uh, because last week's skit uh, probably was the most gym skit I could probably muster up. <laughs> and uh, we are dealing with a little bit of fallout from that. Probably uh, uh, our listenership will degrade a little bit. But at this point, we're satisfying the people that love the show already. Possibly, uh, but I just wanted to take this moment to explain kind of why I keep doing that. <laughs> I write skits that make me laugh. Right. My, I'm like Ricky Gervais. I only, I only, my comedy is very selfish. My comedy really isn't for anybody. It's for me. The comedy makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. And the jokes I give, give me pleasure and that they're fun for me to tell. And I, I don't do selfless jokes, David. I, I never say a joke that I would be upset with. I only do it if it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So the bits that I write, uh, the, the, the comedy in them is really comedy that makes me laugh the most. The stuff that makes me <laughs> happy and the stuff that I love to do. And I keep going back to, the, to those kinds of skits because I just, uh, they, they make me laugh mm-hmm. a lot. And skits like that make me laugh when I watch them on YouTube or anywhere else. But there's really one source where the, my, most of my show humor is, inf- there's a lot of people that have influenced my sense of humor a lot. Um, maybe that's something we can talk about someday. All the, 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 the influencers of our humor. I like that. That could be an episode. One, yeah, there's lots. Uh, one in principle for this podcast, at least is a guy named Phil Hendry. Uh, Chris Ragsdale and I have uh, chatted briefly about this before. 
Uh, he remembers Phil Hendry, used to listen to him in his radio days. Phil Hendry is a uh, Los Angeles-based comedian, uh, radio uh, guy. He's been on the radio for, I think, 40 years. And in the 90s, he started this uh, kind of radio program where it's a self-satirizing radio program where he invented about 30 to 40 characters that he voiced. And he voiced them on a telephone. So he played uh, callers or he would simulate uh, this character calling into his show and he would interact with this character that he voiced. Sounds fun. So he's basically talking to himself, but he was so good at it. He uh, satirized talk radio with it. So he made fun of, of, of listeners who would call into a radio show and he would satirize talk show hosts and he would satirize um, uh, 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 news stories or, or current news stories of the day. So there was lots of topics that he could talk about. And his goal was to inflame listeners to call in very upset at these bits that he was doing or these, call, or these, these, these guests that he was voicing and interact with them. And the result was just absolute pure comedy gold. It was like ear candy for me when I first heard it. Mm. I've been listening to this guy since around 2005. I don't listen to him anymore. It's been a couple of years since I've actively listened to him, but I basically listened to him for a good decade and a half. And, um, my humor is very much influenced by him. And those were the kinds of bits that he did. A lot of his characters would get into fights and, uh, very negative uh, aggression, negative interactions. It was always contentious, but in a very funny, funny, funny way. And I am not, I am not Phil Hendry, but I always thought it would be fun if I could do something like that because it was just so funny and influential and awesome to me. That is in part why we do voices, David and I, mainly me. David is his com- David. David tolerates me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he tolerates me, and sometimes he joins in the fun. Sometimes. Sometimes he's been a great sport. He's been a great sport. Uh, but I do this show because it's an opportunity for me to live out this humor that I love so much. So the, the skits are me trying to recreate that fun probably imperf- imperfectly, but Christian podcast listeners are really probably not used to stuff used to that stuff. I don't think there's any other show that does stuff like this. Hmm. And I thought it'd be cool for us to be unique, but it does backfire uh, every, every now and then. <laughs> and I think last week it might've backfired on us a little bit on me. Uh, but nevertheless, that bit made me laugh. <laughs> I loved doing that bit. Um, that being said in the future, I will calm down on the intensity of that kind of humor that I do. It's a little bit edgy, but I love it. I think it's done in good fun, good humor, but the fact that we utilize Beloved characters such as Matt Chandler and Martin <laughs> Lloyd-Jones and Jim MacArthur, John MacArthur, probably is what actually puts us over the edge. So maybe in the future, if uh, uh, we'll do skits where uh, Hellcat Maggie chases you around on Beaver Lake shooting at you. <laughs> it's, you crash That's your the boat past. You're describing the, the past, Tim. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you cut out there, David. Oh, that's the that? past. You're describing the past, Jim. Yes, I know. I'm. Uh, yes, I am. So in the future, we're going to uh, do things a little bit differently. So uh, there you go. Thank you for for uh, suffering through that. Thank you. I just want to say, I didn't realize that these bits were really chiefly to make you laugh. That means they're really functionally selfish. Like you have a selfish sense no. of humor. Yeah. And I think what you need you to do, I Jim, I think yes. what you need to do is gospel center your humor. Yes. Gospel center that sucker. I should actually. No, yeah. I mean, it, let me, a quick, a quick a quick um, qualifier there. I do. My humor is basically intended to give me pleasure, 
but the side benefit is some people laugh at it. A lot of people laugh at it. Get so to, get to laugh I, like a I, third of the time. Yeah. So as long as I get some of those laughs, it works for me. But you know, I mean, I think I think I don't think this is this is too weird. I think you, your sense of humor is uh is pleasurable to you. I think it makes you feel good to get off a good joke, to make people laugh. Hmm. You're good at it. I know you've gotten laughs and probably have liked it. Unless you are so autistic that really the, the the sense of humor is just more of a byproduct of your autism. If that's the case, then whoa, what a mind bender that would be. It's uh, like the no, worst kind the of savant. Ever... Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like if if Rain Man was funny, you know. I mean, <laughs> actually, that would be kind and of and cool. an excellent driver. <laughs> and an, <laughs> I still loves uh, fish sticks, uh, wandering in a cornfield. So I don't think I'm that weird. I think a lot of people's sense of humor is. Uh, something that, uh, that that makes them happy, and one of the reasons why you would you know get off, give off a good joke is because it you know makes you feel good, mm-hmm. and the byproduct is a benefit is that other people laugh as well because they might share the same kind of sense of humor. So you're, it's all good. This actually reminds me of to. Seinfeld because <laughs> yes, Jerry Seinfeld very frequently will make a joke that no one else can hear. For his own benefit, and then point out that he made the joke for his own benefit. And I totally do the same thing. I will make office references when they don't make any sense to yeah. anyone around me, but yeah. they just make me happy. That's a great example. Sometimes, yeah. though, they, they are funny like in themselves. Like Sometimes the thing is funny. The reason it yeah. was funny in the office was because it was funny in that context, and you've managed to find a similar context. But sometimes you're literally just like saying, why use many words when few words do trick? And everybody looks at you like your hair's on fire. <laughs> Well, that uh, Dwight Schrute line, um, oh, what does he say? Whenever he's, someone smiles at him, he just sees a chimpanzee begging for its life. Is that what it was? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I think that's right. Something like that. That line does get laughs. <laughs> I've used it before a few times. That's just absolutely great. Okay, that's it for follow-up. Let's go ahead and move on to our main topic. But first, a musical break. Uh, let's get back in. Okay, we're back into this. Uh, back in the saddle again. Separate saddles, actually. Uh, this is going to be a gymisode uh, today. We're going to have a short discussion on daddy issues. Yeah. Yay, again. So we're going to try it again. The last couple times we've talked about, the last time we did an episode about me and my daddy issues, uh, as I mentioned before on the last, on the previous episode, that my voice changed considerably. And I didn't even know it probably because of the subject matter uh, was kind of getting me in a certain kind of mood. And then the last time you and I talked about daddy issues, actually talked in the last episode, um, I almost cried. So <laughs> we're going to, we're going to try it again today, but we're going to talk in, uh, probably in a more positive uh, topic when it comes to my dad. Uh, perhaps uh, David will t- speak a little bit about his dad. And that'll give me an opportunity to do my uh, Mr. McCookie impression. Yep. I'm always trying to give you opportunities to do that. Yes. So, David, because this is a gymisode, you are kind of the interviewer. Right, right. Or as the French say, lay interviewer. I want you to go ahead and uh, get started. <laughs> so... Can I just say a quick story? You, you can. <laughs> when I, so, when I sold cars... Hold on, you, let me yeah, ask you. Jim, do you have cars, a quick story before we get sure. started? 
I do. You want me to go ahead and get started on it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, what, uh, when I sold cars, uh, there was a new car salesman that came on the team uh, from the BMW lot. We worked alongside a BMW uh, car dealership, and I was at a Chevrolet dealership or a GM dealership. Our and he came over it. because... Yeah, he came over because they were about to fire him on the BMW side, so he had to work on the GM side. He only lasted like a month, but um, this was when my humor was probably a little bit more edgy and more confrontational than it is now. And I loved, like, I started, uh, I started with this joke. Like, I would say, you know, I can't remember what his name was, but I would say, you know, that car over there. You know what the Spanish call that? It's called El Car. <laughs> and then I would say, or, or as the French say, Le Car. And that, that's all. And I did that over and over and over and over and over again with this guy to the point where wherever I did it, he would say, shut up. <laughs> he really hated it. And I kept on doing it. So when I do that joke, um, I'm not doing it because I want to hurt you. I'm right. just doing it because it makes me laugh. Now, can I say on. something akin to that, that uh, yes. maybe I've mentioned on the show before, but Something I like to do is when there are discussions about manly things like sports or cars, I mansplain things to Sarah badly. So like, like on purpose as a joke. Yeah. Like, like I will just explain what a touchdown is, (laughs) but rather than explain what a touchdown (laughs) is, like explain what it means to touch down. Like, Oh, that's because that's when the football player jumps up and then he lands. That's a touchdown. And I'll like do that (laughs) with people around and it's just kind of a bit that like makes Sarah <laughs> laugh because she knows that it's wrong because she's not an idiot. But they don't and know. And everybody else doing. is just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Oh, that's comedy gold right there. <laughs> that is funny. I love that, David. That's high level uh, comedy right there. I appreciate that. Thanks, Jim. I think you're the only one. <laughs> I don't even think Sarah likes <laughs> yeah. it. She always feels weird. Like, no, he's just, he's just, he's doing a bit. <laughs> He's doing, and they don't get what that means. <laughs> right. No. Who, who like, says that in real life? Yeah. Who says that? Who, who's doing bits in real life? <laughs> Me, David, and Sarah, who, uh, who plays along. No, there's a, a crowd of 10 people who hear that. I'm in the back. I hear it. And I just go, <laughs> I just kind of laugh. And everyone else is confused. That's <laughs> pretty much it. That would yeah. Be awesome. If I saw that. Anyway, so go ahead, David. What are we going to talk about today? Um, so you were talking about your dad and how you got severely beat up at school because you were a wimpy girly boy at the time and you went to your dad and he wasn't very helpful, but he said something that was profoundly impactful and I think was maybe helpful in ways that he didn't expect it to be in in the sense that it it caused you to sort of, at least in some sense, develop your sense of humor and like with maybe with more intentionality. And I thought that's kind of interesting because when you, when you've talked about your dad, you've mostly talked about his absence and that's understandable because he was more absent than he was present. But I thought it might be nice for us to talk, especially about maybe what are some positive or even neutral ways um, that you can remember your dad influencing you. And you asked me why I wanted to not focus on the negative stuff. I think part of it is Mm -hmm. because that's easy. If that makes sense, like even for me, like I had a pretty good dad, but it's easier for me because I'm just hypercritical like that to think about the bad stuff. And it's also kind of cheap from a podcasting perspective. And then there's also, you know, the issue of the fifth commandment. I don't want to put you in a spot where you are tempted to break the fifth commandment. So I'm not saying like, don't talk about that stuff. Don't talk about negative stuff at all. Um, Use your best judgment. 
but I thought it would be really interesting for the sake of radio to confine the conversation to, well, what are the positive things? Yeah. Um, there, there were some positive things. And I said that I questioned your, you know, you wanting to not focus too much on the negative stuff because I would say the negative stuff was more influential than the positive, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know, uh, admittedly that advice that he gave me that fateful day, David, after I was choked out on my elementary school playground was actually some fairly useful advice. (laughs) Uh, He gave me two pieces of useful advice. Uh, You deflect bullies by making them laugh. Okay. That's good. That worked for me. It worked for me most of my life. Um, And uh, it also formed my sense of humor that produces bits like I wrote last week. So obviously it's a positive. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> says you jim i no. should also uh, uh no yeah i just what you were saying about um how you, you, it's easier to talk about how your dad negatively influenced you i think something interesting about that we had a, a fella come in uh from i think it was an opc congregation to preach at our church because our pastor was on vacation and he pointed out that like when people talk about god as father Um, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's really hard for me because my dad wasn't, wasn't the ideal dad. And he kind of pointed out, he was like, well, I mean, obviously I don't want to like diminish the fact that some people had really bad dads, like dads who are violent or dads who like, um, all sorts of horrible things. But like, even the people who would say they have good dads, like your dad is this massive shaping force in your life. And the, every little thing that he does wrong influences you like every little thing. And so it's so much easier, I think, for us to talk about the bad things because like everything bad I see in myself, not everything, but almost everything bad I see in myself, I can point to my parents and say, Oh yeah, they do that too. Like maybe in a different way or, but like I learned this from them, not as like a passing the buck. It's, it's not my responsibility. It's theirs, but just like, I'm sorry. Anyway, the, the, the point was what, what the pastor said was like, that's why I tell my kids, like you can come to me and tell me how screwed up I made you. Cause you're going to be dealing with all the ways that I screwed up throughout your entire adult life. And don't feel like you can't talk to me about it because I know that I'm screwing up. I'm not sure how, mm-hmm. and maybe you can tell me that, but like, mm-hmm. this is just the way that it is. It's sinners raising kids. And I just thought that was really, really interesting. And that's again, why I think it's, it's interesting to try to confine the discussion. Cause I think that anybody could probably talk for an hour about all the ways their parents screwed them up. Um, but maybe it's a little bit harder, especially with it, with a dad who was absent and uh, well, a dad like yours. Uh, it's, it's interesting to, to make the question more challenging. The positive stuff is also hard for me because I know it's cheap for me to say there's not a lot of positives. That seems too obvious. It seems like a cop out for me to say, well, David, I focus on the negative because there's not that much positive. And, the retort to that is just, well, think harder. Come on. You know, the, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the adage that people are, are much more motivated by negativity than positivity. That's why people write negative reviews about, you know, businesses rather than mm-hmm. positive ones. Cause you're so much more motivated to write the negative one than the positive. That's why it's called Yelp and not Wolf. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but in this case, um, positive relations with my dad ended maybe age eight or nine. Right. So I think it was because it was, I was easier to manage and raise and interact with when I was a little kid Hmm. because I didn't have any angst. I was innocent. Or angst as D.A. Carson would say, or as the French say. Or 
I was just going to say, as the French say, Léon Léon Rousteau. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but because, you know, I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have any negativity to really talk about back then because life was pretty innocent and easy. So it's easy for passive, bad, or not well-equipped dads to deal with children at that age because it's easy. I mean, it doesn't require much. And then when kids start to grow older, it becomes harder to parent them and it becomes harder to relate to them. And my dad was not necessarily up for the task, not because it was, um, he was trying to hurt me, but because he didn't know how. So I don't really mm. blame him much. He, he, I come, I come, David, I, I come, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to bleep this out because I'm going to do the, the PC version, but I come from a very long line of a-holes. Um, I, I have done some research and asked about previous generations uh, previ- uh, in my, my patriarchal relations, and the story gets kind of bleaker and bleaker the farther back I go. Um, it's just this horrible cycle of bad dads that goes back quite a ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, they just kind of were in this cycle of, of negativity and couldn't really get out of it. So my dad was not very well parented by his dad not by a long shot. So I don't really blame him. I just kind of, you know, blame the circumstance, but anyways, uh, so relations kind of soured and he became almost completely non-existent even when he was at home. Mm -hmm. So when he left, when I was 13, um, I only saw him on the weekends, every other weekend, actually it was almost every weekend. No, it was every other weekend. So, um, I was there every other weekend and pretty much our only interaction was just movies that we rented from the corner gas station out in, the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, but a lot of cornfields out there. Um, and that was it. So I don't have a whole lot of positive mem or memories or a length of time where I could like extract or extract right. all these positive qualities from my dad. I was a recipient of his influence during these years. And because the interactions were not overtly positive, I think I extracted more negative influence than positive from him. And I'm not challenging so that at all. That's why. Like, yeah, I don't think you are. I fully believe you when you say that. Yeah, I, and I believe that you believe me. Um, but so so the positive stuff that I point out today, if it seems weak and not enough, I'm not trying to make it that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling, man. <laughs> no, and like, and, I, and, uh, I don't want you to feel like you need the struggle. I mean, it's interesting because like, when I think of positive things about my dad, like some of them are ethical qualities. Like, my dad has some very, or not even ethical, but just like, oh, that's a really good idea. Like in terms of, so one thing that he learned from his dad that he passed on to me is if you go on vacation with friends, you need to set your expectations at the outset. And this idea of like setting expectations with people when you're doing something that you can't take back, like a, like, like, like a business relationship or a vacation where it's not easy to just walk away and nobody gets hurt. When you yeah. do that, you need to set your expectations. And sometimes that'll mean a contract. Sometimes that'll mean just having a really long conversation. So like for vacation, he, he always suggested if you go on vacation with people, you need to explain to them, like, these are the things we're definitely going to do with each other. We're definitely going to go to this place with each other. We're definitely, you know, we want to do these three things together during this five day trip. Outside of that, we may not see you at all. We'll probably see you some, but like, we're not going to see each other a whole bunch because we're each going to do our own thing. You're entitled to do your own, your own thing. And we won't get upset when you don't want to do X with us. 
and we're entitled to do our own thing. And that's going to be the shape of this vacation. And when you do that, nobody walks into it thinking, oh, we're going to do all the same things together because you had that discussion. Um, so that's something my dad wow. instilled in me that is very valuable. And it's, it's something that I carried into this, this living situation where like actually both the, uh, the husband uh, and myself wanted to have this conversation, even though we all kind of thought like, oh, this should be easy living together. We both just wanted to have this conversation to, to set things straight and to, you know, uh, manage expectations. But then another silly one that I consider positive is like, I always wear an undershirt and I always wear a belt. Like if I have belt loops, I'm wearing a belt. And if I have a shirt on, I'm wearing also an undershirt. I don't know why. It's just something that I picked up from my dad and I like it. The undershirt thing is arguably silly. (laughs) The belt thing at times is arguably silly, but I'm always wearing a belt. Yes. Boy, you have, you have better examples than I do. (laughs) This is really cool. This is really fun to listen to. Uh, No, I wish my dad gave me those cool life lessons. Um, he did, he was a very passive dad and never sat me down and gave me lessons other than the way, the, the way to deflect bullies is to make them laugh. It's one mm. of the few truisms that he ever gave me. Um, other than that, he kind of just left me alone and I did my own thing and he did his own thing, mm. um, which was part of the problem. Mm. But, um, How many shirts did he own? Oh, <laughs> who knows? I went into my dad's closet once uh and i he has a, a very dis, um he wore flannel shirts a lot flannel shirts and mm. jeans and sometimes t-shirts but mostly flannel shirts he loved button-ups oh my goodness so he was like a he was like a new calvinist <laughs> shut up <laughs> he wore a beard every now and then but uh, <laughs> no my dad wore button-ups all the time and i wear button-ups all the time wow <laughs> yeah, you see that? You um, see that? And I would like yeah. to think that wearing buttons up, button up, button ups a lot is kind of a, a little bit of a classy move. Like you're not in a t-shirt, you're in a button up. Like, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I don't know. I, I was in his closet once and saw a bunch of flannel shirts and uh, so more than you. That's where, he, that's where he kept his, that's where he has more than, so Jim, get to it. No, uh, there was baseball cards in there. I'm actually doing a live memory here. I'm recounting a live memory. And I never once touched his baseball cards. I never once touched them. And I think something happened where somehow some of his prized baseball cards were stolen. I remember a rookie Don Mattingly card. Don Mattingly was a, a famous baseball player. And um, Wait, he a famous baseball player and, on a baseball card? Keep going. Yes. Not all of them are, Bubba. Uh, Most players get a baseball card. Not all of them are, you know, Babe Ruth. So I hate to, I hate to tell you. So uh, anyways, he, uh, he badgered me and and is convinced, was convinced till the day he died that I actually stole those cards and sold them. Other than that, let's There's good money Um, there for whatever it's worth. uh, He is in. Yeah. (laughs) There sure was David. Oh wait, no, that's not what I mean. Um, (laughs) So how much did you make Uh, as uh, (laughs) someone more? I bought shirts with it. No. (laughs) All right. So the question is, I'm going to start over. So as someone who wants more, a lot more wise than me once said, uh, as a dad and a husband, you are always leading. The question is how well or how bad you may be leading. Well, you may be not trying to lead. Well, you may not even be trying to lead, uh, but you're always leading Uh, as a dad. I think this quote applies. uh, You are always influencing whether good or bad. 
Whether you are trying to or not, you are always influencing me or you are always influencing. And I think if I were to think about it, I made just a quick list of some things that I think my dad influenced me greatly where um, I either took on these qualities or had them for a long time. Um, uh, My dad was not an active father, but he was influencing me nonetheless in these ways. Sense of humor. Uh, I have his sense of humor. To hear him tell a joke is to hear to hear me tell a joke is to hear him tell a joke. That's Everyone oddly messianic. And me. Yes, thank you. Um, everyone said that I have his sense of humor. Every, just word for word, him and I try to make people laugh in the exact same way. And when things went bad and him him and I couldn't communicate at anything else, we could always make each other giggle <laughs> in some ways. We shared the same sense of humor. That was a huge thing I took from him. I took I, My, his passivity. Can I just say... Uh, yes. at the, at the risk of interrupting your monologue. Um, my, that was, that sounded oddly passive aggressive. I didn't mean it that way at all, but I'm the same way with my dad. I think that like the things that he finds funny, the, the, yeah. uh, like he's very into puns. Um, I like to think that I surpassed him because I have a constant source of new material. Whereas I don't know that I've hold, heard him tell a new joke in the last 10 years, <laughs> but yeah. also I don't know joke. what I'll be like when I'm 61. Yeah, his jokes are all from that show Chips. Yeah. <laughs> With the chipmunks or Alvin? No. Was... Oh, no, the Rescue Chris Rangers. Ra- uh, Chips and Chris, Dale. <laughs> Chris Ragsdale will get it. Um, uh, passivity. He's a very passive guy. I struggle with passivity. That's called being a person and especially being a man. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, that's true. But I think a lot of guys around me have gotten that point much earlier than I did and struggle less. But then again, I shouldn't be pointing myself out too much. It's not a pity party. Not taking the initiative to solve problems. He never, I never saw him do it. Um, I like to think of myself, or I like to think of this concept as leading oneself um, and taking initiative to solve problems rather than react. Um, I never saw him really tackle things. Hmm. He always waited for things to happen and then he would figure out a, a, a way to move forward after it happened. I was, and I do this so completely. You're, you're talking about the difference between being proactive and being reactive maybe? Yes, yes, yes. Because he's a he's a reactor. He's not an asserter. Nuclear. And I am the exact same way. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, I wait for situations to play out and then make a decision. That's the way I prefer to do it. So I sit behind the scenes. So I'm, that's why I'm like never really. I've never been that good of a leader, and probably shouldn't like. You know, that's why I kind of started to tell the truth about myself when it came to leading or you know whether that's spiritual leadership, moral leadership, any kind of leadership, I'm probably not going to be the best kind of leader because I have a lifetime of reacting and not asserting. Hmm. I learned that from my dad. I never had a really good example of him tackling something. Um, He was always so passive and weighted. Um, So a lot of these are negatives. We're getting to some positives. Don't worry. Um, Yeah. Like Metallica. (laughs) Yeah. I hate, I hate confrontation. He hates confrontation. I never saw him. Um, with emotional intelligence, uh, interact with somebody and to try and solve a problem hmm. through words. I never saw him do it. He never did it with my mom. He never did it with his relatives. He never did it with hmm. his immediate family members, his brothers and sisters. He never did it. And that had a bad effect on me. I'm learning how to do that. Um, I'm getting better at it. Uh, he never took risks. Uh, so I never usually take risks. I feel that they're too, they're too risky. And the game um, is just way too long. Yeah. It's too much chance involved that's why you know that's why i hate playing fantasy football 
I'm getting some invitations to play fantasy football this year. I, re- I haven't played fantasy football in a couple of years because I despise the game. It is way too much like risk. There's not strategy only goes so far in fantasy football. It's mostly just just risk and chance. Hmm. And I don't I don't think that's really worth it. So he used <laughs> Old Spice cologne and deodorant. I use Old Spice cologne and deodorant, but my wife hates it, so that's why I gave it up. Can we talk about, oh, I guess if your wife hates it, maybe we shouldn't have this conversation, but like whenever I smell Old Spice, I immediately am transported back. <laughs> I think about my dad. He, it's just, it's just because, you know, smell is so evocative. It's very evocative. And that is a memory that. Is that legal? Up. Can you be evocative on the radio? Like in public, public evocativeness? What? I'm sorry. I'm doing a bit. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a bad, like, like a, like a word that's like inappropriate. Like it's very evocative. No, 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 David. All right. No, the word, the word you're thinking of is eroticative. (laughs) It's not that. (laughs) I wish I could make that the title. Okay. And we can't, um, I don't know what I would do for a picture. Anyway. No, I, (laughs) I, my dad used old spice. And then I did not want to, cause I was like, you know, you did not like it teen or so. When I started using deodorant, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to use sports because, you know, I was into basketball and baggy yeah. jeans at the time. Not baggy jeans, but baggy pants anyway. Yep. And, you know, I wanted to use something like right guard and then find something for my left armpit. That's also my dad's joke. <laughs> That's a good joke, actually. Very well done, Mr. McCookie. And after like five years of doing that, I just kind of landed on the fact that if you buy the old spice, it's like old spice extended or old spice. You can't just get regular old spice unless I don't know. You don't sweat at all. But like if you buy the premium old spice, like just the original scent, I consistently get people who come up to me and they're like, you smell nice. Well, they they don't come up to me to tell me that they come up to me classy. And as a result of coming up to me, they tell me you smell nice. Right. And like, How can you do better than that? Like a, it lasts yeah. and B yeah. people, you, you literally like I switched from right guard to old spice and Sunday morning, you came up to me to talk about the show at one point and you're like, you smell really nice. I did. And men never you tell men that. I rem- I think I remember that. No, I tell people all the time. If they smell good, I will tell them. Well, that's it's just that's a weird useful. thing I do. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's cool to be told that. Anyways, um, yeah, I uh, I don't use my wife hates it, so I use other things. I actually, use Right Guard. No, I use Gillette. That is actually the best a man can get. <laughs> True, <laughs> the best an effeminate man can get. Um, what? Just a, so they had an ad campaign a couple years ago where they got in some trouble because they attacked toxic masculinity. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah, never, never mind. Um, so uh, so yeah, I did Old Spice for a while because of him. Um, and I liked smelling good. I liked, I used Stetson cologne cause he used Stetson cologne. I don't use Stetson cologne anymore. Do you use cologne? Uh, no, that's, that's too much. Question for listeners. Do any of you use cologne? I think they use something different. I think it's more like body spray now. Um, oh no, don't, don't touch that. You anymore. mean like, you mean like Axe where like they have the weird commercials yes. with the women chasing you? Yes. I think, I think only that. 14 year olds use that. Well, maybe not. No, I mean stuff like that. A body spray. Not Axe body spray, but just a body I spray. I got a box of that from a neighbor yeah. who like yeah. did samples, like gave out samples at a Costco or something yes. and for shoveling her walk. And it made me the most popular guy in the junior high youth group I was a part of. Yeah. You and your big basketball shorts. <laughs> well, and I'm not sure <laughs> if the youth leaders were actually upset that the whole room smelled like Axe after I gave <laughs> it out because yeah. typically it smelled like 14 year old boy. And I'm just not actually yeah. sure which is worse. 
it's an odd scent because 14 year old boys don't really shower. So they just no. they shower with Axe body spray. It's the, one of the worst aromas ever. I call it a Dwyer uh, shower. Oh dear. Um, he was a Marine. He was a, a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps during the Vietnam war. What was his, um, that's interesting to me. Do you know what his rank yes. was when he uh, was discharged? Um, I don't know. Well, he was a drill sergeant. I think those guys have, I think it's like an E. No, that's army. I can't remember how, uh, here, hold on. Let me look it up. I just say this because uh, while you're looking that up, I just say this because my experience has been people who come out of the military, especially the Marine Corps tend to have leadership abilities. Uh, Who knows? He could have been an E five. I thought it was an E six. But yeah, to your point, um, that was one of the many contradictions that my dad had. Hmm. Uh, even when he was a drill sergeant, he was nicknamed Cool Hand Luke, which was a, a famous movie that came out, I think, in the 60s or 70s. 19? And 19, yes. No, 1760s. No. Um, so he was uh, probably one of the more calm guys. But um, I have no doubt that he could have been a hard guy. I think he had he had an edge to him. He did have a temper hmm. that I rarely hmm. saw. I only saw his temper once in all the time that I knew him. Um, but he turned all that off um, because I think he was play acting when he was with us. Uh, he w- didn't want to be around us. So he was kind of, uh, you know, passive and he was in his own headspace. So, but if he was relaxed and normal, maybe some of that might've come out. I don't know. Uh, but nevertheless, I uh, wanted to be in the Marine Corps, just like my dad. And he was the one who actually convinced me not to. Hmm. He said, Jim, you will regret it within five minutes. Whatever you do, do not join the military. And that is the one reason why I'm not a Marine. I was determined to be one. Um, I've always wanted to join the military, but I never did because of him. Do you regret that Um, or do you think that was good? Yes, I do. I do regret that. I do. I wish I would have. I wish I would have gone. I think I'm suited for it. Um, I think I would have, my life would have benefited if I had done that. I would have learned discipline in a really cool way. Mm. But anyways, say la vie, here we are. La vie, here we are. Yes. Or as the French say, no, I'm kidding. Um, since it's French, that's the joke. No, um, <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> and that's the joke. Um, you guys got jokes as Les Lamphere says. He said that um, about me and he, Joe. Don't you try to horn in on our Les Lamphere. Hey, you know what? I don't want to ruin what you thing. guys had. You guys had something great, something good. Something even beautiful. Um, he loved Star Trek. He, he didn't like Star Wars that much. He loved, absolutely loved, loved Star Trek. Hmm. And him and I watched so much together. Uh, him and I bonded over the movies. The original, the original movies. Original series? Original movies? He watched the original series as a child and loved them and loved the movies. And him and I would watch them together. Hmm. Um, and watch the next generation together. He loved all of those, but he was a big fan of the original cast. And that's kind of why I am so into the original cast. Jim actually has a shirtless William uh, Shatner poster above his workstation in his laundry yeah, room. Do. And it's uh, the William Shatner in his eighties. <laughs> <laughs> his kids like to play games where they pin shirts from the laundry to William Shatner and make it look yes. like he's wearing them. Yes. Uh, William Shatner in his 80s, shirtless. That's where that is. Is he 80? Hold on. Yes, he is. He's in his 80s, my friend. He's doing pretty good. Wow. Last time I saw him, he was on uh, Psych, also over the hedge. Mm. How is he older than Patrick Stewart? I didn't realize that. I mean, it it kind of makes sense. I get it. But like, 
I just Stewart is think still in of Patrick 70s, right? Stewart as being older. He's still in his 70s, right? Uh, Patrick Stewart is now 80. 80. He is now 80. Okay. okay. So he's a hair behind. He's nine years younger. William Shatner is 89 years old. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding Are you. Are you joking with I me? I am not joking oh with you. Well, hold on. According to Google. Holy yeah. And crap. according to Wikipedia. <laughs> so it's solid. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's amazing. Can't believe. He does not. He, um, his mind must still be with him uh, very strongly because every time I see him in a, well, actually I haven't seen a public uh, appearance from him in a while, but you know, even in the last couple of years, he seems fine. You know, he even looks pretty good for being freaking 89 years old. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. All the wow. uh, overly dramatic senile stuff. He started doing that when he was like 25. Yeah. That started long <laughs> ago. Um, but yeah. And, and so and a, a reason why I love William Shatner is because of my dad and his love for Star Trek. And uh, so those movies are very special to me. And that series is overall very special to me because, you know, I'd be watching it. Or I'd be watching TNG. I mean, my my ritual for a while was to watch TNG. It was syndicated at the time. No, it was actually on live at the time. It would show after school, and I would watch it. And sometimes he'd watch it with me when he was around. Uh, so that was a pretty cool thing. Next, can up, I just say, um, if listeners want to yeah. see William Shatner, he was in an episode of The Big Bang Theory last year. That's probably the easiest. Uh, act- nice. Actually, Big Bang Theory is really hard to watch online. Uh, but if you probably, you can YouTube it or whatever, but that's probably where you're most likely to see him kind of in his element as William Shatner. I want to see that and see how he does. Yeah, I do too. Um, that'd be really cool. Um, my dad and I, he actually loved the, <laughs> this is going to sound strange. He loved the band Metallica. He was not a much of a music guy. I got my music from my mom, but him and I loved the band Metallica and specifically we bonded over the black album. Uh, which is Metallica's most successful, biggest album. It came out in the early 90s, I believe. And him and I would listen to it together. Um, and we loved talking about Metallica. Hmm. And um, it was strange because he was an older guy at the time. And he and I was a younger guy at the time, Metallica's target audience. And him and I bonded over that stupid band. Which is also just and, weird because kids don't usually bond with their parents over something that's for their generation. Like Usually when we see yeah. our parents into the things we're into were like, Oh, come on. So yeah, that was weird, but those, that was kind of like a, so I, I, I love the band Metallica to this day in part because it uh, reminds me of my dad. Um, but you know, I, I probably should probably spend a little bit of time with the chief influence that my dad had over me, my sense of humor. Um, he loved dry, sarcastic humor. That's the kind of humor that he had. It's the kind of humor that he used on other people and me. And that's where I learned it from. Um, we, <laughs> Weirdly enough, him and I really loved Jim Carrey. We loved watching Ace Ventura together. Um, all the Jim Carrey movies we would watch when I would ha- when he would have me over on the weekends. Huh. Um, loved Jim Carrey. And I think I liked Jim Carrey because my dad liked Jim Carrey. At the time, I don't think I had any reason to like Jim I don't think anybody does. Jim Carrey, but, uh, but it worked out. But him and I really loved Chris Farley. He loved the Tommy Boy movies. Not the Tommy Boy movies, the Chris Farley and David Spade movies. I think that's Tommy Boy and Black Sheep. He absolutely rolled over in laughter whenever him and I saw that movie. <laughs> he would just be bursting with laughter. <laughs> he uh, he would like kind of like you do with me. You quote The Office all the time. He would quote Tommy <laughs> and Black Sheep to me all the time. 
And there's this famous, not famous, there's this funny scene in where Chris Farley and David Spade come to this lake and Chris Farley says, or Tom, or uh, black, I think it was black sheep. He said, isn't it beautiful? And David Spade is kind of looking at the lake. He's oh, yeah, yeah. And then Farley just like swings by on this massive rope swing <laughs> and jumps up probably 30 feet into the air and falls into the lake. And my dad, whenever we'd see something, he would say, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> and him and I would just start laughing because of that scene in the movie. <laughs> but, and he would quote the movie to me all the time. There's, I'm not sure if I'm going to bleep this or not, but uh, in the, the movie Tommy Boy, his dad played by Brian Dennehy, where he was telling a story to his love interest at the time, talking about his dad who had just recently died, and he would be out in this lake with this dinghy boat, um, and he said his dad would shout from the shore, hey, quit playing with your dinghy. <laughs> and my dad always said that line to me. <laughs> it's because of the movie. So I got a lot of my humor from him and liked the things that he laughed at. Um, he loved the tonight show with Johnny Carson. And I love the tonight show with Johnny Carson for, I think the same reasons, just cause it just brings me back. And I love that kind of humor. Hmm. Um, but the, the, the funny thing is, is that after he left, I was 13, he left. So our relationship was, was decent when we, when I had, when he had me on the weekends and then it, it went along just fine. And then I got married and the relationship completely and utterly fell apart. I think I've even told this story on the, on, on the podcast before, but I will, I will skip it. And we didn't speak to each other for, I think a decade, maybe something like that. Hmm. No, not a decade, maybe seven or eight years where we didn't, he, he didn't speak to me. And it got pretty awkward, but then I heard of his cancer diagnosis, um, made the choice to fly back to Wisconsin to see him hmm. and to try and one last time to kind of bond with him and to reconnect with him and to try and reconcile with him uh, before he died. And I managed to get through, got to his house, knocked on the front door, uh, was turned away, uh, <laughs> was turned, it's actually a pretty crappy, awful story. I don't know why I'm getting into this. Uh, was turned away. Um, had to fly back home. That was not a successful trip. I tried again a couple of weeks later, knocked on his door, managed to get through. <laughs> uh, his wife at the time was, was the one who was not really allowing me in, but I got in and I started talking to him. And some of the first things we talked about was we just started sharing jokes and we were <laughs> Oh, this might be why I have such an edgy, dark sense of humor, but uh, we'd start sharing cancer jokes. <laughs> um, we were just joking about his experience and him and I were just having a laugh and kind of connecting again hmm. um, over our sense of humor and kind of just making fun of like Seinfeld, like situational experiential humor about the things that we, he was going through. And we were just laughing. And, uh, you know, the, the relationship, I think, kind of got but a little bit more positive then and him and I went out to eat and had a heart to heart as to the extent that we could. And then he died. Uh, so it was a, it was a fairly decent ending, but the joke stuff, the humor uh, carried through all the way to the end. Hmm. Um, so, so that, that was, you know, that turned out all right. But yeah, so those are some of the things that I got from my dad. Some, I mean, if I were to put more work into that, I can probably think of a more uh, appropriate list, uh, but that's what I got. That's pretty good. I mean, You've got a, you've got a lot of different things in there and 
I guess this is more a comment for like, is this good podcasting? Uh, which can probably be cut, but like, I don't think you should feel bad about this list at all. Like, I think, yeah, I mean, it's not like you had a lot of time with him and I don't know that mm-hmm. I could have come up with a significantly longer list. And I had a lot of time with my dad. Um, it's, I think it's just interesting to think about how the things that do shape us about our parents are things that it's very difficult to pin down to a specific instance. Like, it's not like my dad once told a pun that had me in stitches. And from that point on, I was telling puns. Like I was telling never the same. I was, (laughs) I was telling puns as early as like four years old. I went down from my nap and I had a little pet cat, (laughs) like a, it's not a pet cat, a, uh, a toy pet cat. And I was laying on it. My mom said, oh, you're laying on it. The cat's name was Charlie. You're laying on Charlie. And I said, me, ouch. At four years old. Like, I can't I almost point- spit out my drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's so wonderful. I can't point to a specific time when that started. Like, it's just this like <laughs> weird subconscious thing. And I mean, if anything, I feel like we've learned that like Jim's sense of humor is I, what's what's fascinating to me is I don't know that I can pinpoint like dramatic, specific, emotional events with my dad that I can say really shaped me like you can with your dad and the uh, the playground incident and him telling you that the way to uh, get rid of bullies or to stop bullies is to make them laugh. Like that is that's the kind of thing that I would expect to see in like an oddly convenient history of George Washington. <laughs> like or, 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 or like somebody's <laughs> writing an, an autobiography of Robin Williams and they like explain that and you're like, Oh, now I understand Robin Williams and it's probably too convenient and probably like probably pseudepigraphal. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think that was maybe what fascinated me most about this was that you, you were able to pinpoint, not that that was the only thing that made you like emphasize humor, but you were able to pinpoint something as like, this is a strong reason that I tie to why I wrap everything in humor, even sometimes to a fault. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you and I, I think went into great detail, I think useful detail on what goes into why a person has a sense of humor. And I think you and I, we're not, I don't think we're completely aligned, but we do probably err on the side that, you know, our sense of humor can come from a dark place mm-hmm. <laughs> or a place that's not, not easily explained but can mask. It's a mask of some sort. It's a way to deflect. It's a way to distract others from certain realities. But anyways, that, that aside, um, yeah, I think we've kind of come to a natural end in the discussion. Um, Mm -hmm. these are, you know, these are things that I think about often, not the things that, that, um, not the things that are negatively influenced, but I do think sometimes of the positive things. Like I'll, whenever I hear a Metallica song, I'll always think of him. Whenever I see a Chris Farley clip, I'll always think of my dad and I'll start laughing. Um, and uh, those have been, those have been kind of useful, but, uh, but you know, the, ultimately the, the thing that I have to really think about is do, am I going to be stuck in this past? Am I going to be stuck with the influence that he has given me? Or do I embrace, you know, the process of progressive sanctification and a changing nature and being a child of God and moving on to something different? That's what I'm trying to think about more because one is less productive and one is a lot more productive. 
And um, um, I think that I've made lots of strides um, uh, recently. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so <laughs> nothing really much more to say on my end. Other than that, I think this was a useful discussion. I hope uh, I hope it was somewhat entertaining, as we always try to do. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I have nothing else to say. Yeah, I think I think if anything, this is just I don't know. I feel like I've been learning lately, and this is so stupid. Like it makes me sound like I'm 17, but I've just been learning how screwed up everybody is. Like, and I feel like it's, it's something the older you get. Like the older you get, the more you realize how messed up everybody in the whole freaking world is, including yourself. And I don't know, I guess that would just be (laughs) my encouragement to you as you think about these things, because, you know, you have to decide, oh, am I going to commit the sins of my father or my father's? And like, all of us have to do that. And yours are more blatant, but like, that's almost a good thing because at least you're aware of like, the tons of negative influences that your father or your parents, but especially your father had on you. Like they're glaring, they're right in your face. You know, like I need to not do the thing because this is what my dad would do. And that's bad. You know, whenever I'm about to do a thing, I ask myself, is this something my father would do? And if it is, I do not do that thing. (laughs) Um, But like for me who had a pretty good dad, all the, all the little things that I learned from him that I shouldn't have, that he shouldn't have taught me are so much more subtle and so much more uh, insidious. Um, And I'm not trying to say that like, oh, because you had a bad dad, you had a leg up on the world. I guess I'm just trying to say like, I don't know. I feel like the, the ground for sanctification is pretty equal and it's pretty universally terrible. Like we all start at the ground floor and that is so much worse than any of us want to admit. Um, And I feel like that's something I've been learning, I guess at church lately because it's not like my pastor gives specific examples or anything, but just the way that he talks about shepherding people and the way that he talks about uh, how, how Christians are. It's just like, he seems jaded, but then I'm like, he's probably not jaded. Like he's probably just a pastor who's being honest. Yeah. Telling you the truth. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if any of that is at all encouraging, but those are my thoughts after uh, everything you just said. That's how podcasts work. It is. You say some things and then I have some thoughts and I say those thoughts and then vice versa. I'm so glad you clear this up for me from time to time. Just so I know what a podcast should be. Well, folks, that's it for us. The latest form of vlogging episode 106 is in the can. And we look forward to next week, episode 107, where I will be writing a crime drama. So, (laughs) and also trying to fulfill the goal of not having any violence in these skits so best of luck to did me. you say violins or violence because i feel like the message might not have gotten across and i just want to clarify it was violence but then again now i'm gonna i'm gonna put in a violin in there somewhere <laughs> just for you. as long as it's just one and not plural yeah just just one hey look a violin and hellcat maggie like, takes in it's matt chandler in the face with it what a God, God. It be. okay <laughs> i'll put that in an outtake all right folks that's <laughs> it for me goodbye bye Save me from this podcast Is it over or just dragging along Will these two guys talk forever Or will they quit if I sing them this song My back is sore from all this flagellation And now the scarring process will be done
save me from this podcast. The torture started off so tongue-in-cheek, now it seems it's almost over, so I'll just have to wait.